and I'm sure you see this, you meet, uh, I, I call them like their entrepreneurs who seem to be like they went to business school or they worked in, in consulting because they're always in there talking about there's a gap in the market. And they're like, there's this gap in the market that we identified. It's yeah, but who cares? So what's the else? I always say, what's what inspired yeah. you to get in this business? But there's a gap in the market. I'm like, the gap in the market is what inspired you to get into a business. <laughs> And it doesn't matter how big that gap in the market is. That's not yeah. the reason you go into business. Like that doesn't get the blood, sweat, and tears. Okay. When you're worried about running out of capital, when people tell you over and over again, every time you meet with somebody and they say, that's the stupidest product idea I've ever heard of, right? Yeah. Like, why would anybody buy that? When your spouse or your friends and family are going, why don't you just get a job? Right? All <laughs> of that, yes. we saw a gap in the market does not get you through that. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Kezia Robinson. Kezia is a business strategist, coach, and an investor with over 15 years of experience of working with CEOs, founders of startups, and executive leaders. She helps people manage their energy because how she thinks is that it's not just time and money, but you also have to look after and protect your energy so you can perform at your highest levels. So let's get into it. So, um, Kezia, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I had a look at all your profiles and I see that you work a lot with with startups and you have an incredible background. You have worked in different places like different cities, different countries, in fact. So yeah, I would love to know about bit about what you are up to these days. Thanks so much, Sam. I always tell people I'm in the business of training transformation. So I started my career in the investment business. I actually started my career in a research lab. I was a physicist and and I realized I liked working with with people more than I liked working with the with machines. So I got out of that and got into investments and eventually realized I liked working with people more than I liked working with spreadsheets. <laughs> so I transitioned and I am in the business of as I say in the business of transforming small businesses and small business owners. And, and I often include people say, oh, small business. And I go, when I say small, fewer than a hundred employees. So that includes an awful lot of startups. That uh, does. I, I really Pretty much most them. of them. <laughs> exactly. And I, I work with, I have some solo people who are still building their teams or, or getting ready for financing. So I work yes. with a, a whole lot of businesses and different services, product, all of the different kind of areas. I'm, I'm really a generalist in terms of the industries I work with. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's an incredible journey from a physicist to to helping small businesses and startups. So how do you help them? What do you do for them? So I'm a, a CEO coach or a founder coach. I work with yes. the founder, but I also coach the business. So I really try very hard to help people understand, which is as an entrepreneur, is really hard to separate yourself and your identity from the business. So I, I work with them a lot. But the core thing that I start with is energy management. We always say time is money. And I think energy, mental and emotional energy, that is the source. You find the time and you'll find the money. And, and it's great because you have so much energy. We were talking before about your businesses and how you just you keep starting new things. And, and that's something yeah. that when I look at, at my clients, they're typically coming to me and they're what I call subsistence farming. They've lost <laughs> the drive. They've lost the love. They're yeah. working so hard, but they've lost the passion 
or they've just, they never actually often set a vision for the business and yeah. it's drifted away from them. And that is something. So I, I start with where are you spending your energy? How do we increase your return on the energy investment? I am a finance person, so I have to put it down to numbers at some point. <laughs> yes. And then I custom tailor. From there, it depends because some people are strong on vision, need, need a lot of help on execution. Other people are great on team. They're great managing a team, but they lack the vision to really take the team where it's supposed to go. So I'm very much a one of my clients called me a shapeshifter because I blend and I also blend with people as they're going through the, the transition as your business is growing and scaling. Yep, that is amazing. It's one thing that has really helped me is the ability to say no, <laughs> because I get every day so many requests on 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 LinkedIn, mostly LinkedIn and on email that, oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Or there's this opportunity, there's that opportunity is to, I learned that in fact, from one of the um, VCs that I interviewed is to not drown in opportunity <laughs> and and say no to the 99% of what's not relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The enlightened no, that's some of you've read, Gay Hendricks, uh, The Big Leap talks a yes. lot about enlightened no and what you're looking at and describing there. And I think it's really important when I work with people on their energy is who do you want to do business with? What tasks are, I would say, what's at or above your pay grade? Because yeah. you shouldn't do anything below your pay grade. And as your business grows, even if you love, let's say, client service, you really shouldn't be doing most of the client service. It doesn't make sense. So as you're scaling your business, people have that process of understanding where are you putting your energy and where are you putting that? And how do you say no to, as you would forget, 99, probably 99.9% of the, the opportunities that come your way in order to stay focused? Yeah, very true. What is one mistake do you see a lot of small business or startup um, founders making when it comes to, I don't know, managing their mental energy? <laughs> oh, they want to make everybody happy. Or they and 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 uh, we we always know and, and this is common uh, adage in sales right is if you ask for anybody you'll get nobody yeah. and that is often when people come out they're trying to serve everyone everyone is their customer they will adapt every investor yes. they want to to please every investor they want to and it's yeah it's nice for your ego to be the most popular person but the truth is you're getting married to these investors. Exactly. You're going to be dealing with them for a long time. You're getting married to a business partner when you start a business. If you're depending on, you may be getting wedded to a client, especially yes. see a lot of businesses, they become dependent on their alpha or their beta client, yes. and then they can't wean themselves off. And so I, a lot of it, one of the first things I do with people is an energy matrix. And we look at where the vampires, like where are you putting a lot of energy in and it's just draining right out of you. And yes. I would say almost everybody cuts about 30% of their revenue book, whether that's clients, it might be one big client, it might be abandoning a product line that isn't working. Almost yeah. all of my clients go through that process. And it takes three to six months um, for them to come back up. And then obviously it's off to the races, but the level of relief that people get when they just say, to your point, they just say no. And, and oh, so you can fire somebody, like not just employees, you can fire a client, the customer is not always right. That is the biggest, I would say the biggest mistake that people make running any business. And honestly, in most of our lives, the biggest mistake we make is trying to make everybody else happy. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, very true. It reminds me of those those crabs who have to lose their old shell to grow. <laughs> so you have to drop some of these old things to to grow. So. Absolutely. And growth is is a continual process and I think that's one thing about setting goals and visions is you need the concrete. It's important to get concrete. You have to be able to measure your progress toward it. But yes. You also have to have something in this to, you know, the point of scaling a business that you have to have a vision that's big enough to take investors along with you, to take a yes. team along with you. And that is sometimes when people come to me, when I, you know, have to say no, because I, I yes. have to know who I'm not going to work with. Sometimes people come in and they want to be 10% better, 10% bigger. They want their life to be a little easier. And they're great coaches and consultants for that. But yeah. I'm like... I'm about the infinite potential. I'm like, come to me yeah. when you want to be 100, 200, 5,000% bigger, better. Come to me when that's what you're looking for. Because really, like when we just crack that open, it's just so amazing to watch as a coach and to be along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. That that is yeah that is really cool. I also saw that you help a lot of businesses with with pivoting, especially in the times like these that we are. So, what is how do you help them with that, and where do you see the opportunities right now? I think the most important thing in a pivot is to really understand what you want as the founder, the CEO. Yes. If you're at a large business, a business exists, and you're just a piece of it. Um, many, which many founders have a hard time realizing until they get fired, the VC comes in and, and yes. fires them. And <laughs> that, yes. But there's, when you're at that growth stage, those, that smaller stage, it's really up to you what you want. And, and I think you can ask for advice from a lot of people and get a lot of different opinions and not go in the right direction. And a prime example is product market fit, which often gets exposed in times of crisis. And yeah. You can hire a consultant to tell you whether you should go for the product or go for the market. But the truth is, it's your business. Do you care more about the product? Do you care more about the market? Often you don't care about either of them. And then we go back to basics. But the biggest thing in that pivot is to calm down, slow down a bit, and really ask yourself, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to get done? And you will yes. often then start to find, once you've released a little bit of the energy around like stressing about it, you'll start to find information and you'll start to understand where you're trying to go. And I, I always say like, I, if I could tell you how it's going to play out, I would, but I don't know how it's going to play out. What I know yeah. is we're going to free up the energy. I'm going to bring a toolkit, which is very standard. I use the same toolkit with every industry. Somehow you will find the way through yep. and you have all of that power inside of you. But pivots are a lot about confidence. I think it's just, you have to have the confidence. You're going to come out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. You just mentioned about toolkits. So what are some of the toolkits that you use and, and how do they help? So I have a, a, a whole thing, the energy matrix, where we look at where are you burning energy and then tactically, what are you going to do about it? Especially with relationships, often it's about giving up something. So people come in and it's, oh, I want to delegate. and it's, But in order to delegate, you have to give up being the most important person. And yeah. the only person who can handle something. Yes. And so there's a lot of that kind of uh, the psychological and mental preparation for it. Another toolkit that I do is um, about value creation, pricing, especially with service businesses. How do you price and how do, where do you put the proposal? How much milk 
do you give away for free? Yeah. Uh, but it also works with, with product-based businesses. And it looks at every phase of your engagement. How are you creating value for the customer or client? And where do you get value for yourself? Because yeah. if you're doing something you don't like to do, it doesn't matter how much value the person on the other side of the table is getting, you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to do it. And then typically it'll be like, oh, I'll hire somebody. And they hire yeah. somebody who's also not suited to do that because you hired somebody who reminded you of yourself and then they burn out. So I will look at from the very point of first contact in marketing through every point of conversion, through the customer, deli- the service delivery or the product delivery experience, always at every single point, you're trying to decide whether you want to invite the customer to the next phase and what information do you need from them? And then what value are you creating for them? So whether or not you, even if you don't invite them forward, they're still yeah. leave with a good Yelp review coming, right? Where they still feel yes. really taken care of. So that value matrix can, I typically do it pre-contact sales cycle and then delivery. And then the last one would be, what do you do afterwards? Because aftercare for your clients and customers is also something people forget. Um, yep. And your customer acquisition cost goes down if you can get the same people to buy from you over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Retention is much easier than acquiring new ones. <laughs> yep. Like the pricing is an important one. So how do you help them with yeah, What are the things you should take into considering? Because a, a lot of the like a B2B SaaS product startups, a lot of them don't really know because they built something completely new that doesn't exist. It used to be done on Microsoft Excel or pen and paper, or and then now it's a SaaS product, which is cloud-based, all that. And then they don't know how to price that. And, and talking to VCs, I know they ask, People like, so how are you pricing your product? And then the founder has no idea what to say. So what is your strategy around that? Like, you know, how do you help them with pricing? So the way that I look at price is people pay you for the value you create above and beyond their perceived next best alternative. Yeah. So it matters a lot especially in B2B, who is on the other side of the table? Who are you trying to cultivate for your alpha and beta customers? What industries are you going for? And then really understanding what their perceived alternatives are. Is that something like you think of your personal trainer? My perceived alternative January 2nd is that I'm, this is the year I'm going to go and lose 20 pounds. I'm going to start running. I'm all this, right? So if you come at me as a personal trainer, I may not want to pay you the money because it doesn't make sense to me. You wait until February when I've fallen off the wagon, I realize I can't do it by myself. Now you come in and I realize that I had this perception of an alternative that didn't really exist. And so I think a lot of it can be around communicating that. And then I tend to say, it depends on how upfront, if you're going to deliver a cash benefit immediately, you can get a lot closer to one-to-one. The more esoteric or the longer it is, you're looking at prime. You want to be able to deliver three to five times value. If you're out there trying to say, I'm going to save you $10,000 every year and you need to pay me 50 bucks, people are just going to think you're lying to them. So there's a dance around the ratios, but the biggest thing is understanding like what is the, the customer going to be able to see is the value and how are you setting that up for them mentally? So they are coming, oh yeah, this is going to be a $10,000 savings. Or often if somebody's time savings is a big one, right? So let's say, oh, it's going to save your team X, Y, Z. What if your team, so you can double sell that. So you can say, it's going to save your team, 
you know, this much time. So they can, I can think through the labor savings, but then you've got to tell me what are they going to, how much revenue are they going to generate with the time that they now have free? So you can double yeah. sell me. So you're trying to really create that vision in the customer. And I think that what happens is people don't really understand. They go, well, I made this really interesting product and it really stinks to put things into a spreadsheet. And you go, but yeah, but now I have to put things into your SaaS model. Yeah, right? yeah. And if it feels the same to me and I already paid Microsoft and now you want me to pay you a hundred or a thousand dollars a month, it doesn't seem like a good idea. So yeah. there's a lot of that also really understanding what the customer side of things are. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any practical examples of, because you do have small businesses and startups turn around where you went in and how you turn them around? If it's open to share, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I uh, turned on a small business several years ago. This was, and I was, it's one of the reasons I'm a coach now and less of an operator, right? Is that part yes. of the operational stuff is I realized I wasn't an expert at the marketing. I wasn't an expert at the branding and all of the other things and that I was doing when I took over, but it was a high-end jewelry business. And there were so many things like uh, product costing is a really interesting thing. So jewelry is, and a lot of, and this is actually true in a lot of businesses, people just do cost plus. They say, okay, well, this is how much it costs. And then they, and I'm going to multiply it by 2.5 yeah. or whatever. And jewelry is a, and high-end jewelry is a very high margin business. It's, yes. it's, but one of the things that I went through with the designer was let's look at the collection, Right what are the price points of the collection? So some of these, you're going to give up margin here. You're going to make margin someplace else, but looking in that way of thinking instead of it costs because she wasn't really accounting for labor. And so it was really important for her to say, target a price point, then begin to target once you decided, Hey, this is the range we're in. This is the margin we're looking for. And this is the labor cost. And then outsourcing as much of the labor as possible. And instead of thinking of it as every dollar that was spent on someone else producing it came out of her own pocket, looking at it as what's the overall structure. So a lot of the turnaround is really just going in and bringing basic business principles. There was also, she had, we segmented into three different product lines because she had three different styles. And so part of it was how do you segment these three product lines and then sell them together as a complementary, right? And so it tiered and it was different marketing strategies And there were things like negotiating a a big deal of it is just negotiating. If you're having problems with suppliers, you're going to pick up the phone, right? And you have to call and you have to tell them that you're not going to be able to make the payment now. And what are the circumstances? Calling your retailers who haven't paid you. And there was a lot of that. So in that case, there was just a lot of operational blocking and tackling. And people think that their business, they need to completely change the business. And often it's they just haven't been executing the core business very well. So step one is let's not blame the business you're in. Let's see if maybe there's some stuff you can do. From there though, you absolutely, I had a a client uh, came in and they wanted to do an app, productivity app. And it was during the boom when everybody had a productivity app. It was productivity (laughs) app idea. And he's talking about how the visuals are going to go. He's a very visual guy. And this is going to have bubbles and all of this. And I was like, let's step back. Who is the end user? What is the point of this product? What are the actual benefits? Not just the gloss on the surface. What are you trying to do? And it actually became clear that it was more of an enterprise solution. It had so much interoperability and it was a management tool. 
So even with, it was not a consumer productivity application. It was a management tool. And that started to shift a lot around, okay, where's the money for that? How much does that cost? How do you want to yes. position it? So it's a prime example where somebody came in and they had a good idea, a good collection of ideas, but they were chasing. And it was at a time when everybody's portfolio already had a couple of productivity, consumer-based productivity apps in it. So you're also chasing a dwindling pool of money instead of looking to, hey, enterprise software is not dead. Enterprise applications are not dead. And this was a few years ago when people were saying those sorts of things. But it's a difference. You need more capital. The quality of the product has to be higher because people will not go into beta with it at that level. And you have to be more clear about where, how are you different from Slack? How are you different from X? How are you different from Y? That was a really fun example of, of helping somebody at the early stage really pivot the product. Oh, that's very cool. It's just in my experience, as you said, absolutely right. If it is enterprise, you need um, a certain level of quality. They are, they are not going to be as forgiving about bugs and things, but at the same time, B to C, there is no money in the early stages for many years. People are not going to pay you $10 or five, $7, because you have to compare. It's like for me, I pay um, about like $7 US for a month of Disney Plus. Yeah. And it's got so many movies. It's got Marvel, Pixar for kids and all, all that stuff. And is none of most of these apps don't have that sort of, of value that they can compete against. So I compare it like that. And it's, do I want to, pay for an app which I might use just once a year or once a month, maybe if that most apps don't get used at all. So it's like people don't pay B2C initially, unless you get to hundreds of millions or billions of users, then it's a completely different story. So so we're a very targeted niche market, very targeted niche, but that gets to the perceived alternative. And one thing, and I'm sure you see this, you meet, uh, I I call them like they're on entrepreneurs who seem to be like they went to business school or they worked in in consulting because they're always in there talking about there's a gap in the market. And they're like, there's this gap in the market that we identified. It's yeah, but who cares? So what's the else? I always say, what's what inspired you to get in this business? But there's a gap in the market. I'm like, the gap in the market is what inspired you to get into a business. (laughs) And it doesn't matter how big that gap in the market is. That's not the reason you go into business. Like that doesn't get the blood, sweat and tears when you're worried about running out of capital. When people tell you over and over again, every time you meet with somebody and they say, that's the stupidest product idea I've ever heard of, right? Why would anybody buy that when your spouse or your friends and family are going, why don't you just get a job? All of that (laughs) We saw a gap in the market does not get you through that. So I think it's it's interesting that there's these in, especially in these direct to consumer, people can get really fixated on such a small nuance and, or it's only matters to them. It's something they care deeply about, but it's, they're a market of one. So that is also part of it is really getting a sense that perceived next best alternative. Are you that much better than Instagram? I mean, I yeah. met a business which was trying to compete. They were like, there's a specific niche, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but those people are all on Instagram and they may not love how Instagram is doing it. Yeah. But like this, if you actually are building, if your niche is actually that important, how long do you think it'll be till Facebook just adds that as a function? 
exactly that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Facebook has nearly 2000 different versions of Facebook running across the globe at any time. And they're always testing new features. They're always learning from all these sort of things. So it's, yeah, it's, you cannot build on it. You have to solve a really uh, like a big concrete problem that people mm-hmm. will take the action most people download zero apps like as in in a month if you ask someone how many new apps did you download in the last month most of them it's not even one <laughs> because people use the same 15 20 apps on their phone every day and, and that's well, about I, it i have a, a colleague who who is big on app sumo he loves he's just and yes. to a certain extent there's a person who loves it so yeah, yeah. app sumo can make money monetizing that much better than any of the individual products on AppSumo can because (laughs) what they're monetizing is people who just like to know new things. But one thing I find is he insists on trying to use an ad as a video chatting service that he, because he bought whatever. And it's just not as good as Zoom. I'm always like, come on, man, let's just get on Zoom. We could do FaceTime. It'd be better. But he keeps trying because, and it's such a funny experience because that sunk cost element. And to your point, there's a few people who want it, who are, will tolerate the dysfunction of the alpha yes. and beta version because yes. they want to be cool or because they're as a, but most people will just default back into something that works. Exactly. That's what they're trying to get through their day. <laughs> exactly. Because it's not, the problem is already solved. The problem doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. Talk, talking about all this, if you had to start all over again, what, what would you do or what path would you take? Oh man, I would trust my instincts. I I think one of the one of the things is I wish I could say it was right. I, I walked out and said, "This is it. I'm quitting this corporate job." But <laughs> I remember having a. I, I lived on the West Coast at the time, and highly paid, highly miserable, very very well respected firm, and and the people were generally pretty nice, and and the work was not that interesting to me. It, it was it was well paid. And I remember at one point, one of the managers came by my office and was like, I need to talk to you about something. And, and, and I remember I was wearing this very sharp orange jacket and I had purple nails at the time, which you're looking at me right now. I'm not wearing anything and it, as exciting. When you're not loving your job, you want to express yourself in different ways. So she took me aside and she goes, like, you have a big personality and all of this color and everything it's over-accessorizing. It's a little much. Why don't you tone it down? <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, do you want me to tone down my orange or tone down my personality? Which one are we doing? Yeah. And I lasted several more years in that job and it was worse and worse. And that is something where that just being yourself, even yeah. I, mean, I would say, even since it's not as if I had some transformation, even over the years, LinkedIn, like one thing I'm re- I'm working on redoing my copy and branding. And someone said, they said, you're everything you have out there is very polished, but where's the you in it? I meet you and you're, and it's, this is not who you are. What's on LinkedIn yeah. is very polished, very professional, but coaching is a personal engagement. You're going to, we're, I'm going to work with you and yeah. really help you go through your transformation, help your business scale. So I've been in that process as well about realizing that I need to put more me into it and worry less about what people think, because the only people I want to work with are the people who are going to respond well to that. Absolutely. Yep. Before we go, I've got these three quick sort of questions that I ask everyone. And is there a book that you are reading right now? 
I actually, a book that I, I finished already, but I recommend it is How Emotions Are Made. Emotions are made. Are made. You, you got to be a little bit of a nerd for it, but it is about how we construct like our experience of reality. And one thing that I recommend for anybody, especially if you're co-founders or you have business partners, yes. it is the, it's the scientific explanation for how two of you can sit in the same meeting and walk out the door and think totally different things happened. So yeah. it's really, it's really a, a great, a great book. So I highly recommend it. Is it more on the like behavioral psychology side or is it more on the business side? How does it? It's a neuroscience. It comes from the, yes. definitely from that. And I would say there's some ties into business, a little more of the ties into interpersonal relationships, but that's pretty much everything that business That is everything that, yes, because <laughs> you deal with people. At the end of the day, it is people making decisions in, in most jobs anyway, unless it's yeah. something simple like checkout or something, but most yeah. Jobs you deal with people. So I completely agree with that. Second, is there a podcast or a YouTube channel that you follow? Uh, I love, and this is everybody listens to this, but I love Reply All. So I, I know yes. it's the, one of the OG, but there is something about the way that they are so themselves, I think, not yeah. just the diagnosis and the sort of story construction, but very yes. much um, in the way that they are themselves. And I think that, and clearly weird and dorky. And so I think there's a lot that other podcasts, I definitely enjoy a lot of other podcasts, but so often, sometimes they have that, the, the polish and the gloss and something about Reply All is just, you can imagine you're in the room with these two weird, dookie, dorky guys, three, actually, they've had a third one now. Um, so yeah. I, I Oldie but goodie. Oh, there is so much value in just being yourself in everything, not just only podcasts. Even in fact, the podcast that did the best for me, the episode, it's with someone who I already know. And we were just talking about all sorts of stuff, less sort of business stuff. And we were just laughing so much. We couldn't stop. I thought this is so unprofessional. I should not put this one up, but that did the best and <laughs> got views from all around the world. And and I don't know, I didn't even promote that. <laughs> I had one I and I and I you might I think you may know her, Lauren Kress, the business scientist. She's yeah. great. We did a LinkedIn live and it was just we were just having a fantastic time. And I look back at it and there's so many nuggets of wisdom that come out when you're just being yourself and really enjoying it. Another yes. guy who's in your area, Den Lenny, he is a, he is a coach for videographers, but he gets a lot of really interesting people on there. And, and I think that he's a great in terms of these sort of smaller podcasts, absolutely worth checking out. And since he's in your area, definitely, you know, really, that's how Americans think about it. You're like, I'm like, Australia, New Zealand, you're all kind of neighbors. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that's good. I've spent a bit of time in Australia as well and always done sort of businesses to go multiple times a year there. So it's not, it's the closest place you can go. And that's like a three, at least a three hour flight everywhere else. It's 15 hours from here, from the from nearly South Pole. So yeah, but no, no, that's great. And finally, if you had unlimited time, resources and money, what would you work on or what would you build? I do what I do now, I guess. I, I would amazing. love to work with, I think maybe find some other people to work with so we can scale some of it. Yes. But this is the retirement plan. Like I, I love it. I love just, I love working with people. I love driving businesses, helping people really come into themselves. So yeah. 
Yeah. I wish I had something more exciting to say, but that's what I'd be doing. That That is very exciting. It's really good to see people who are fulfilled and find joy in what they do. So that's always great. And then it work doesn't seem like work. It doesn't tire you. It doesn't suck your soul out like the exactly. corporate job that you are talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Life is short and that and managing that energy is so important. And we it's not a zero sum game. You can have a great day. I can have a great day. You can have tons of energy. I can have tons of energy. And I think that the more that I focus on that and the more that my clients focus on it, the the better I can see. I see the the life satisfaction, but also really the money, the businesses work much better. Maybe I should write a book. Maybe that's what I'll do with my unlimited resources. I'll hire somebody to help me write a book. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You should. Yeah. You've got lots of original thoughts and and lots of experience that I'm sure a lot of people would love reading about because you have the unique perspective that only you have. Just I believe that's true for everyone. (laughs) Only you have gone through the experiences that you have. So only you have your story. It needs to be heard. (laughs) Finally, do you have a ask anything you're looking for? Anyone you would like to connect with? Yeah, I would love to connect with business owners. And uh, entrepreneurs who are at that point of feeling burnt out at that point of wondering, did I make the right decision or can I scale this business? Can I really be the person that I want to be? Can this business be the the dream, be the thing it's meant to be? So those are the people I always just want to hear everybody's stories. So encourage people to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, You can reach out to me on my website as well. But that's really the type of people I'm trying to connect with. And I believe you talk to enough kindred spirits, everything, like I said, the energy, follow the energy and the rest of it works itself out. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kezia, so much for your time. I will put all the links underneath the description of wherever this goes. And yeah, best of luck for your journey. Thanks so much, Sam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.